You've attended council hearings in person. You've tuned in to our televised proceedings on Channel 13. Now, you have the chance to listen to us on the radio as we demystify the work of the people who do it. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council with your host, Josh Gibson. Thank you, deep-voiced person with a funky backbeat. Indeed, this is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. You can't have a government without a council, so you can't have a government radio station without a council show. This is it. We're coming to you from the headquarters of the Office of Cable TV, Film, Music, and Entertainment, which is also the historic headquarters of Black Entertainment Television, so it's an honor to be here. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to celebrate this thing called the Council. I'm Josh Gibson, Director of Communications for the Council. You may also know me as the Council's voice on social media, at Council of DC. If you don't follow us already, get with the program. Here at the Council, our communications goal is to engage with residents in an informative, conversational, and sometimes even enjoyable way. You know if you follow us on Twitter, we're believers in the Mary Poppins School of Communications. A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. We want to make it easy for average residents to understand what the Council does. We're demystifying our work and the people who do it. Remember, the DC Council is just like your workplace, except with the dais. On the show, we'll try to keep things light, offbeat, informal, and interesting. You'll learn about policy, learn about people, learn about history, learn about trains, and learn about the institution. Uh, without any further ado, let's welcome the uh, the chuckling uh, chuckling Charles Allen. Did That's you ever, right. I believe you boxed under that name in the 1980s. For a short time. For a chuckling short time. Chuckling Charles Allen was exactly. a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. It was a short career. Short-lived. Uh, but yes, Ward 6 Councilmember Charles Allen is our guest today. Uh, frequent listeners, bless your hearts. Um, we recently wrapped up our first round of interviews with council members. They're available on SoundCloud. Sound, I do that every time. SoundCloud and iTunes. Those focused mainly on getting to know the council members, their backgrounds and biographies. Now in the second round, we're going to focus more on life at the council, their experiences, learning curves, surprises, ins and outs, ups and downs. And a disclaimer, unlike the first round, we did share the questions in advance so the council members could prep if they wanted to. And if council members pass on a question, can pass on a question if they want to. I didn't get questions in advance this time. This sounds is all like, going to be right on the spot answers. It sounds, sounds like there was a process breakdown. Well, but do you just pass on all the questions? Seriously, we'll, we're we'll, going to do fine. We'll get this will be fun. The, we'll just skip ahead to the entertaining icebreaker <laughs> questions that are at the end of the show. Uh, so here is the underhand softball pitch. Uh, tell us about the stuff you're proudest of on the council. It can be little things, can be big things, can be constituent victories, can be policy changes. Talk to us about some of the stuff that makes you proud. Great. And this is like an like eight-hour segment, so I can go yes. through a long list? Yes. This this correct. Fantastic. Um, I, hmm, some of the things that I'm proud of. There's a lot, but um, I am proud that one of the... I'd probably start with the first bill I introduced, um, Books from Birth. Um, this was something I think we've talked about a little bit before, but it was something that I knew when I got elected, I really wanted to be focused on how do we help close the achievement gap and how do we work with, on, on equity for all of our families? And I was really moved when I heard stories um, and talked to a lot of people around what happens at age three and age five as kids are entering into either pre-K three or in kindergarten and the difference that it already exists at that moment of the children who know an alphabet, who can read a book, 
and those that can't. And the achievement gap that you see later on in school, I became convinced the more that I studied this was really that foundation of a word gap. And so um, that's one of the really great parts about this job is that you really try to help identify a problem and you work on solutions. And we, I introduced Books from Birth as one of the first pieces of legislation. It now sends, uh, it was unanimously passed by the council and then was able to, to get it implemented. It sends a free book once a month to every single kid in DC under the age of five. And hundreds of thousands of books have gone out. I think we're over 600,000 books to date. Uh, over 35,000 kids are enrolled in it. And it, I believe, is going to be starting to make a real difference as kids are better prepared at age three and five as they enter school um, to have books, to have reading, and to have parents and grandparents and caregivers reading. Um, certainly really proud of that. Um, but I, I am, I think for any elected official and certainly D.C. council members, they are weird people. And so I do get a, correct. I did a correct. I do get a lot of um, pride and satisfaction out of hearing back from constituents when we solve a problem. Um, you know, not too long ago, I was talking to a woman who uh, was having a really difficult time because she enters and exits her home through the alley. The lights had been out. And it just it was really dark, and it had been that way for a long time. The light had burned out, and she couldn't get the street light repaired in the alley. Um, and I was able to reach out to the DDOT director this for the same day that she reached out to me. Um, at five in the morning, his team was back out, changed the light bulb, brought the light back on, and she was telling me how, for the first time in a long time, she had confidence being able to come through her alley at night. It's little that impacted you know one or two people's lives, um, but she was frustrated, scared, um, wanted her city to work. She was able to reach out, and I was able to help solve that problem for her. Um, so yes. I'm, I'm proud of the things both big big legislative accomplishments, policy accomplishments, but also um, what may be small in the big picture, but they're really important and big to that one person in the ward. Yeah, it's the old broad and shallow or narrow and deep thing that when you only help one person, man, does it help them. Yeah, exactly. And that sort yeah. of like is crossing something off their uh, global to-do list it for was, their whole life. It's for them. It's, it's um, helping get the city, getting their city to work for them. Um, and that's part of the fun of the job. Yeah. Uh, and on Books to Birth, I, you know that I have a bone to pick and that my daughter was too old to ever participate in that program. So I think that might be more your fault. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I did not foresee the existence yeah. of a future legislative program. Yeah. The other question, is there anything else coming into well, the end of this council period and the next council period coming? Is there anything else free you're going to be sending to <laughs> I will see what I can find out. I will see what I can do. Yeah, it's like I was trying to think of what rhymes with books, like rooks, like you could send them a chess kit, chess game. or I think the trick is it has to be three words, books from birth. Yeah. Just, it moves fast. So um, I don't know. We could do uh, cakes for dinner. I don't know. We could come up with some, some new way to do it. Yeah. Or mail, try, try mailing pudding. Yeah. It's just a thought. Um, Dolly Parton mm -hmm. is somehow tangentially involved in the books from birth effort. Can you explain that? I yes. just have always wanted to bring Dolly Parton into the program. And, and you've successfully done that now. Um, so as we looked at doing this, we, we looked around the country, frankly, to see who had good examples of how to create a program like this. And it turns out Dolly Parton actually runs something called the Imagination Library. And it is through her program now that the D.C. Public Library's partners to then deliver these books. And it really comes from what I think is a, a personal passion of hers uh, in that her father um, could not read. And so she, when she 
had become successful, uh, one of the things that she wanted to do was find a way to give back that was very deeply personal to her family and, and to her father. And so she created this program. So in Tennessee, they've been doing this for a long time where uh, they have the this books from birth type of model called the Imagination Library. And, you know, that's um, it's, it's one of the things that Dolly has really uh, has championed. I think that we celebrated a couple of months ago the one billionth book. It wasn't the one millionth. Or it was the hundredth millionth, hundred millionth book being given away through the Imagination Library. She'll get to a billion, I'm sure. Uh, but the hundred millionth book uh, at the Library of Congress. So yeah, it's it's something that. that she's almost um, she's almost become for those folks who remember her music at the time. Um, certainly, will rem- always remember her for her music and movies. But a lot of people actually, as she said, they just know her as the book lady, and she's perfectly fine with that. Yeah, I bet. Now, how does be, because my child was aged out? Tell, talk to me about how the books show up. Do they come all at once? Do they come individually each year? Uh, they come once a month in the mail with the kid's name on them. So, uh, my son, who is two, just mm-hmm. got his uh, the other day. So we were reading it last night, and of course, we had to read it five times in a row. But it was um, a little story uh, about a, a little excavator truck. Um, the month before that, it was a book that came in, and it was a bilingual book that uh, focused on Spanish and used a lot of um, descriptive of food, smell, and sights, and was going through Spanish vocabulary with English vocabulary. So the books come once a month. Uh, they frequently are dual language. Um, probably about three to four out of the 12 books a year are dual language. And they have a variety of uh, characters, protagonists. Um, part of what was important to me is that every kid could see themselves in the books. And so you have things like uh, Last Stop at Market Street, which was a book not too long ago. Um, You have some really award-winning, high-caliber children's books. And I think every child in D.C. can see themselves on the pages in these books. And these are selected by D.C. public libraries? They're actually selected by the Imagination Library nationally. And we provide input and feedback to them. Uh, we actually have been trying. One of my goals is to make sure that we actually have a D.C. Public Library representative on that selection panel uh, with the Imagination Library, and, and we've had really good conversations about how to make that happen. And is there any kind of black market operating with these books? Are they going to school and getting traded for milks, or are you aware of anything like that? Not that I'm aware of. Um, I, I know that um, what I hear most is that a lot of the kids, because their name is on the book, because it comes with a sticker with their name on it that's you know through the post office, there's just an immense sense of pride that, that the kids have with these books because uh, it has their name. It's a brand new book. It's not a hand-me-down. Um, it's a fresh new book just for them. And, and they really hold on to it, and it's, it's just a delight. Yeah, the, the, I mean, you talked a little bit about this earlier, but the, the stat about the number of words a child's exposed to prior to a certain age and how that's, that's the shoot match, you know? If you get the child exposed to whatever this magic number of words is around the house, books in mm-hmm. the house, books at school, they're just set up for success in a way that they, it's hard to come back from. Yeah, it's called the word gap. And, yeah. um, you know, studies after studies have shown that uh, a child who um, has books being read in the home out loud will have heard millions of more words by the time they're five and starting school uh, in kindergarten or even three starting pre-K. And that's what this is aimed at getting to. Um, and that's why it's also, it's more than just the book getting delivered. It's why we have the libraries partner with the adults, the parents, the grandparents, the caregivers, so that um, if, if, you know, literacy runs in families. And so if you have a, a, um, 
low literacy reader or low literacy adult in the household, you want to help them also gain literacy skills, and the library does that as well. So it ends up being great for the kid. Uh, it's great for the adult. And because there's been a track record in some other jurisdictions, in Tennessee, for example, and the places where they've had this program, they've been able to show that being exposed to this program and having these books, you see a 10 to 15 point gain in students, math, English, science, uh, when compared to cohorts that don't. So not only is it fun, not only is it just a whole lot of, there's, there's pride and joy in getting a book and having it be your own. Uh, we know that it makes a difference and we know that it will help close that word gap, which I believe will be a really foundational step in closing the achievement gap. And there's something to be said for real books. Yeah. You know, I, I'm sure at some point someone will suggest mailing every kid a Kindle and emailing the books directly, but it, I don't know, I'm old fashioned, but I just value having a book in my hand. I think that um, the book is part of the relationship that you have with the reader. And so, you know, I, like a lot of parents, you know, like I, with my, my son last night, we, you know, sat down on the floor, he curls up in my lap while we read the book. My six-year-old daughter's hanging on my shoulder because she wants to read the book with us. Um, and it's the, it's the interaction that gets to take place, the bonding that gets to take place. And so through this one book, we actually accomplish a whole lot of things in one. So that's, it's, I frequently say, you know, it's, it's so much more than just the book that shows up in the mailbox. And, um, and that's what I'm really excited about. Okay, now let's flip the script and let's talk about something that was a great idea that you had your whole heart in and that maybe didn't go well. I thought you were going to suggest something there. Um, gosh, so, so you're asking me for what, what didn't go well. What, um, what is something that you, just like this, you had your, your whole heart invested in, a lot of creativity, a lot of staff work, a lot of personal work had gone into, and it just wasn't its time. You know, a lot of legislat legislation famously, candidates famously, sometimes have to come up a couple, mm -hmm, two, three mm -hmm. times before they take. Um, is there anything that comes to mind for that? Um, probably is the part where it's just to talk about, you know, like it's my, my greatest failures. I spend too much time in the ward solving problems. Um, now I'm trying to think there's, there's certainly times when I've tried to move legislation or move something forward and, and all of us have experienced failure. Um, and one of the things I think that I do think is important is learning also how to lose a vote. You know, we certainly want to win the votes. Um, but the, the, um, the ability to lose a vote sometimes is just as instructive and learning how to turn right back around to those same colleagues that just voted against you on something, be able to bring them on this time. Um, I guess I'll try to think of one example, which is something that I, I failed at the first time, but then I've come back around again and taken another crack at it. And I think that I'll be more successful this time. And that was, I believe that we should expand voting. I think that we should, uh, one of the things that I've worked hard at the council to do is help protect democracy, expand democracy, get more people engaged in the process. Everything from the fair elections legislation that I helped get through uh, to do public financing, to help candidates. But I want to expand the voting age to age 16. And I introduced it a couple of years ago and got laughed at, frankly. Um, a lot of people just did not see the value in this and didn't understand why were we trying to expand voting? You know, could a 16 year old really be able to vote? And so I think I got one or two of my colleagues to support it. Uh, it, it did not go anywhere and, and, and it died pretty quickly. Was able to bring it back though. And what I also spent time doing was working to build out a coalition, learning how to make the case, learning how to help talk about why this is important. Why, why is it important now? 
And what I've seen by doing all of that work in advance is that by the time we got to the point of introducing the bill, I had seven of my colleagues now ready to put their name on it. I had people that initially rejected the idea who now said, you know what, let me keep an open mind on this. I can start to hear the arguments for it. Um, so we're going to be able to do this. We've got the votes. We have uh, the mayor. Two years ago, the mayor said she didn't support it. Now the mayor does support it. The attorney general now supports it. Um, I think that I, I didn't do the work necessary two years ago to get this bill to a place to where it was going to stand a chance. Um, I thought it was a good idea. I thought it was a good idea, and let's get the conversation going. But by not doing the legwork, I actually ended up making it so the conversation never took place. And so I, I then spent the time to build the coalition, uh, bring in stakeholders, get younger voices more engaged and ready to go to help fight for it. And the result is in what you see. We had a hearing where 70 people showed up saying how they fully support the bill. We didn't have anybody come in and testify against it. The mayor got asked about it this time, just like she did two years ago, but this time she said, I support this. Uh, the attorney general's come out and said he supports it. The majority of the council says they support it. So taking, uh, taking a loss sometimes is helpful because it helps tell you how to come back and still achieve your goal, but maybe do it in a different way, how to build a broader coalition. And so I guess that would be an example of, um, of losing a fight, but learning how to come back around for it. Now, how do you deal with it? There have been a few issues I can think of, but this is one of them where the nation is looking at the district's experimentation legislatively and passing judgment uh, on social media, as one does. Um, how, how do you deal with that? Because D.C., you know, fairly often is out in front or among a small group of liberal jurisdictions that are out in front. But, I mean, you got a decent amount of national media attention, uh, positive and negative, on this topic. And how, how does that impact how you do things, or doesn't it? Yeah, I, um, I did get, we got some national attention. Um, I got my, uh, I, I almost think it's a badge of honor. I had the NRA decide to attack me, uh, which was a new experience. Um, I think I had Fox and Friends attack me. Um, so sometimes that happens. I'll, I'll, again, I'll wear those things as a badge of honor. I guess sometimes we're the District of Columbia and sometimes we're Washington, D.C. And I try to look at measures like that and say, is this true to who we are as the District of Columbia? Is it, we may, because we're the nation's capital, we're going to be in a national conversation from time to time. But are we moving something forward because it's the right thing to do for the District of Columbia? Is it organic? Is it coming from that space? And vote 16 is in that vein where it's very much true to who we are. It's where our values are. At a time when around the country we see jurisdictions that try to keep people away from voting. Um, you know, I led the council through the automatic voter registration, uh, led them through reform after reform after reform to help strengthen our democracy. And this is another step in that. It's who we are. And so I don't mind being... Um, getting some national attention for it, both positive and negative. I don't mind the NRA or Fox and Glenn Beck and those guys deciding to attack us for it. They're on the wrong side of history. Um, and, and this is who we are as, as the District of Columbia. If they want to let, if they want to write their, their, the first sentence of their story about the fact that this is the nation's capital, go for it. Um, but this is who we are in the, in the District of Columbia. And we we care about making sure these voices are heard. We have, tens of thousands of 16 and 17 year olds, um, predominantly young men and women of color, um, deserve to 
have a voice in their government. They pay taxes. Uh, the law implicates them in many different ways. They're, in many cases, they're raising children. Uh, they're caregivers of their own family. They've got jobs. They pay taxes. If we truly believe in the statement, end taxation without representation, how do I tax a whole group of people, tens of thousands of people, and yet they have no ability to hold me accountable? Uh, so I, I think that we're on the right side of history here, and um, and it's something I'm proud of. I'm excited for us to be able to move this forward, but we'll deal with any of the national headlines that don't like it. Now, how do you respond to the people that say you've been plying these children with free books for years <laughs> and you're just trying to get them voting sooner to create some sort of crazed Charles Allen book-friendly army? <laughs> well, maybe you could argue the books are helping make sure that we have a highly uh, literate residency, um, and then the voting is to make sure we have a highly civically engaged residency. Um, Listen, I think when you, when you look at the 16 and 17-year-olds in D.C., and I argue you'd see them around the country, um, you see people that are thoughtful, they're engaged, they're passionate, they care about issues in the same way that an 18 and 19-year-old does, in the same way that a 30 and a 40-year-old does, in the same way that a 70 and 80-year-old does. Um, I think they can make independent choices. And, um, and so, yeah, we'll, when, they're, when they're younger than five, we'll make sure they have a book. When they're 16 and over, we'll make sure they have a vote. Um, and how would you campaign briefly? How would you campaign differently in a post 16 year olds are voting world? Well, I think that from a candidate perspective, what I think it'll help do is that candidates no longer just treat a high school as a photo op. I think that candidates have to truly go listen to these 16 and 17 year olds who have very thoughtful ideas, very strong opinions about what they want to see. And I think that it has been shown they will be very civically engaged. In the handful of jurisdictions that have 16 and 17 year old voting in the US, you see highly engaged um, civic participation and voting. Many countries around the, around the world, 16 and 17 year olds vote. And what you see there are um, folks that turn out and they vote and they're engaged and see candidates that go and campaign and, and talk to those issues. The 16 and 17 year olds I talk to, their issues aren't about you know, what Coke machines in the lunchroom, they care about affordable housing about job creation, they care about displacement, they care about issues around gentrification, they care about uh, quality schools, parks and amenities, all the exact same things that I'll have a conversation with a 25-year-old or a 50-year-old. So the, um, the issues are the same. And, and so I think it's just you have to go meet those 16 and 17-year-olds where they are to help make sure that um, as a candidate, if you're campaigning, uh, you can reach them where they are. Right. Um, it's kind of with your focus on democracy and literacy, I mean, it, it's kind of edgy, you know, so <laughs> just be careful here because, you know, these are like not everyone in America is united around these principles, you know, so just watch your back. I think that's why uh, why, why we get some some love letters from uh, from folks like Glenn Beck and, and the NRA. Yeah, from your, your pen pals. Yeah. Um, we're starting to run short on time, so hit me quickly with... Back-to-back uh, -back with no transition, a, a sad story, something heartbreaking uh, that, that happened on the dais or in the community, on the dais. Uh, and something funny. Uh, um, well, sad stories are going to almost always be when, um, when you lose someone. Um, you know, we, we certainly, um, just like I'm sure, frankly, every other neighborhood and community has, you know, we, there, there are voices that get lost along the way. Um, and that pass away, and and those those are sad and they hurt. Um, you know, we just had um, a great voice in Ward Six who passed away. Um, who was a uh, she was a police officer in D.C. was a judge, Miss Albrecht, and was just 
phenomenal. Um, so you, when someone like that you lose um, in a community, it, it it's a hole and, and, it, and it's sad. Um, and since you're forcing me to go into it, no transition, try to come up with something funny. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of times that the job can also be it is very serious, but there's times when it can be lighthearted as it should be. Um, and there's a lot of times that it's fun. You know, we, um, I get to celebrate, you know, hundredth birthdays with people, um, and get to have a little fun with things like that. We had a, a Southwest community day just the other day where, you know, we're, we're bouncing around on, on play equipment and toys and things like that. And I think that sometimes you get to be in a council member. Um, people have expectations. Sometimes you, you can get to be a little bit silly. I was on a, on a seesaw with about six or seven, little kids the other day on a playground as they were trying to uh, bounce me off a seesaw. And, um, you know, you, you can just climb up on top of that and just be a kid for a little bit with them. So it's, it's, a, it's a fun job to be able to kind of bounce around between those different moments and, and the different colors and, and the different uh, shades of yourself that you got to show. No, no wacky off-color colleague stories? Oh, no. My, my colleagues are the, the picture of respect and, um, and, and dignity respect indignity or <laughs> indignity or um no we, we we love the behind the scenes uh stories you know so we always fish for those because sometimes you get some interesting little tidbits um are there any uh, sometimes the people have pet peeves about how the council operates are, do you have any of those or do you have any of, I don't know what to call them, but like little procedural intricacies of how the council operates that you appreciate, that you're glad we do it the way we do it because it helps? I, uh, you know, I, before I was a council member, I was a council staffer. Before I was a council staffer, I was an advocate. Um, so I spent years coming to the council, sitting on in the audience, coming up to the table to testify. And then I was a staffer helping hold hearings, but on the staffing side. And then I was the council member now chairing them. Procedurally, I like the fact that we let everybody have their voice. You know, when you look at a, a hearing, for example, up at, um, in Congress, they invite a handful of people. The Republicans get to invite a certain number. The Democrats invite a certain number. It's a very scripted conversation, and that's about it. I don't think that's really getting much input. We hold hearings where 20, 30, 100 people show up, and at the end of that, I know that I do this and many others do. We, then we do an open call. Did anybody come down today that wanted to testify that didn't sign up, but you, you feel moved and you want to say your piece? I think that's a great thing. Um, and I try hard to make sure I make eye contact and listen and respect the fact that you may have waited three or four hours to get three minutes to testify in front of your elected officials. Um, maybe that's a quirk of the way we do it. I don't know how many other le state legislators do that. Um, I think it's important. I think it's important that the council members need to be looking at them, trying to respect their time. They've taken off work in many cases to be down there. Um, but I like that we do that. I like that we make sure that everyone can come in and have their voice heard. doesn't mean that we're going to agree with everybody all the time, but your voice can be heard. And, um, and I hope that more and more residents and citizens take advantage of that. I'll remind you of your sentiment at the end of the Initiative 77 hearing, <laughs> <laughs> which may break the record that I think the comp plan hearing yeah, set. Exactly. At four in the morning, for... it's sometimes hard, but it's, you'll do it. Yes. Yeah. Um, now, we, you, you successfully answered our wrap-up questions in uh -oh. the first round about dessert categories. We have a new set of I categories. I really stalled on that one, though. Yes. Um, so in the second round, we're asking people to pick at least two of the following. Do an impression. Tell a joke. Tell us about a strange thing you collect. 
Tell us about an oddball job you had. Tell us about one ludicrous thing you can't live without. Tell us about your weirdest family member. Or shower me with effusive praise. Hmm. You must do two. And we're short on time. Got it. Um, oddball job? Uh, I can't remember if we talked about this before, but I think one of my oddest jobs was that I... I spent several summers uh, changing locker combinations in schools. We did not. We didn't? Good oh, one. yeah. I was, I was a traveling locker repairman for a couple of summers in high school. That was fun. Um, Josh, I what think you do a phenomenal job. What was job. the most terrible thing? Oh, I, oh, I just cut off the yeah, phrase. Yeah, we cut off the phrase. We, oh, Damn it. You can go back to your other question. Did, did you ever find anything interesting or gross or terrible in a locker? Lots of gross things. Uh, found a handgun once. Um, Lots of disgusting, gross things. People would leave food in there all the time. Uh Um, But I, to this day, I can't walk through schools throughout D.C. without immediately looking at the lockers because I can tell you what the brand is. I can tell you what's the weakest point of each of those lockers because I have to repair their hooks, their latches, their hinges. Um, I can tell you a lot about lockers to this day. Interesting. What they'll have to say. Also, I don't know if you know, but every lock lock actually has five pre-programmed combinations. Um, Wow. Why five, you say? Because high school is four years and so you don't want your senior class to be able to go back and open up their freshman year locker so it's five so that you cycle through the students with the with the lock numbers good good yeah. fact little tidbits that i can drop whenever you need i like it um and now back to the praise oh your praise well i just think you've done a phenomenal job i i appreciate it um hard-hitting questions but you do have a way of um of asking uh fun questions that i i I hope that people find a little interesting um, and you're starting to peel back the onion a little. So thank you, Josh. Oh, well, I just hit my head on the microphone proving I have no business being here. Um, But thank you for the kind praise nonetheless. Um, Unfortunately, we are out of time. Um, But I would like to thank you, uh, listeners, for tuning in. Please tune in again next time. We are DC Radio at 96.3 on your HD4 dial or at dcradio.gov. I'm Josh Gibson. This is not a council hearing. This is Hearing the Council. Thank you. Thank you.